Welcome to the Landco Podcast, an analytical behind-the-scenes look into land investing and land ownership, covering marketing conditions, current inventory, and updates on all relevant land ownership issues here in Illinois, mixed in with some timely hunting and fishing reports. Hey guys, welcome back to the Landco Podcast. Uh, this episode is part six of our series, Top 10 Ways to Increase the Value and Enjoyment of Your Farm. Uh, here with Ryan Pudick. It's been a while. We took um, a month off or so for harvest and some of the hunting season, so we're back at it to finish these last five. So we were just kind of going through the format to make sure we knew uh, we wanted these episodes to be in the same kind of format as the first five. So I believe those were uh, we tackle the issue and go through kind of some basic questions. You know, what is it or what are they? Why would you do it? Where would you do it? When? And then lastly, how? So that's going to be the format of these. If you haven't listened to the first five, if you have, uh, you're pretty familiar with it. So on this episode, we're going to be, episode, we're going to be talking about prairie grasses. Um, sort of a broad uh, subject, but we're going to, you know, we're here in central Illinois. So we're going to address mainly this region and our experiences with them. Certainly not all the information in the world about it, but this is kind of real life experience on stuff that we have accomplished with these. Um, because we have, how many acres of prairie grasses do you think we planted in the last 15 years? Well, probably, say, a couple thousand, couple, anyway. Probably yeah, 5,000. Yeah, I was going to say, probably more. You probably have a couple thousand over yeah, there. Yeah, over in the last couple of years, yeah. Um, so, done a lot of them, tried a lot, failed on some the hard way. So, we've kind of been through it uh, and learned by experience. So, let's hop in. Uh, what are they? So... I will be the first to admit that Ryan knows more um, about this than I do. Um, I'm a little more like, hey, let's get this farm in production, maximize the income, and move on. Whereas Ryan is a little more outdoor, recreational focused. So um, he's just kind of migrated to these a little more, is a little more educated. And you could stop me or expand on what I'm saying, but for the most part, these are those... uh, Grasses that will grow late in the year, your big blue, little blue, switch, um, some forbs you can put in, mm-hmm. anything. Indian like grass. Indian uh, grass. It just depends on uh, kind of what we've talked about before. What are your goals with your farm? And that will determine maybe the variety of grasses that fit what your goals are. So if you are a upland hunter, for instance, then you're not going to want cave in the rock switchgrass. If you are uh, just have a, some open areas in your farm that you just want to make them look nice, maybe you want the prairie flowers, your forbs, and maybe not right. as uh, your little blue stems, big blue stems, things like that. So you got to kind of identify what you want to do with your grasses, why you want them, and and then identify those areas. Uh, accessibility is a part of it too because you've got to be able to get equipment to these areas Uh, it's not something you it's not like regular grass seed where you just throw it down scratch up a little dirt around it and it's going to grow so uh, those are a few of the things you need to identify moving forward and we'll get into that but in general these warm season grasses as compared to cool season grasses are those you know a little not all much taller but they're taller they don't grow until later in the year until what June July Uh, they lay dormant for a while um, and then they'll grow later in the year. And so, you know, if you've never seen prairie grasses, it's kind of like you imagine like old school 
Midwest before crops, like those big, tall, mm-hmm. blowing grasses. And essentially, they're, I mean, they have a ton of benefits for wildlife in general, not just deer, not just, oh, you know, just even just your regular birds, you, rabbits. you know, like your rabbits, uh, you know, uh, all your, all birds nest and not every bird nests in trees. So a lot of small birds will nest in clumps of prairie grasses. Yep. So, and also if, if there's uh all prairie grass puts off some sort of a seed so there's also food for multiple different uh uh, species and uh, not only that you've got tons and tons of of different nesting covers for like i said for a variety of wildlife yep so they provide a lot they also provide excuse me the reason they do that for a lot of those is it's not uh, a cool season grass, like a fescue that grows like a blanket. So like these will go, grow sort of in clumps. So yes. from, from a distance, it looks like one big field of grass. But if you get in there a little closer and you kind of like dissect it, on the bottom of it, it's pretty open. So like birds can get in there and nest. It's not – some of those grasses, like the fescue, it's too thick for them. Right. You know? So these, these prairie and again, grasses – And that's where you need to identify what your goals are because right. – a cave in the rock switchgrass, for instance, isn't as clumpy growing as, say, a big blue or a little blue or an Indian grass. And so when you put cave in the rock switchgrass, for instance, in, and I'm just using cave in the rock yeah. uh, as an example. There's multiple different switchgrasses. But I'm well, that's from, become our favorite. Right. So that's why we use it. But we can Correct, about because that I, I'm more deer-oriented. So, or deer, you know, my goals are to grow big deer. And so... Cave in the Rock is is the most tolerant in the winter for snow. Um, if it gets snowed on, if it lays over, once the snow melts, it pops right back up. And so you have a, a great cover for the deer. Uh, but, but that Cave in the Rock switchgrass is not very good for your upland game birds and or rabbits simply because it will, uh, for instance, smother out some of the other varieties of, of prairie grasses and take over. And you don't get those clumps or those pockets of grasses with travel corridors through it as you would with a big blue or a little blue or an Indian grass. Uh, yeah. So that, that's, that's where you need to identify what, what works for what your, what your goals are. So that's a perfect segment. Next is why. Like, why would you do it? And I think you hit on a bunch of them. Um, but no matter what your goal is, if you're talking recreational and sometimes income, because a lot of them do qualify for the CRP, which we can talk about in a minute, but the CRP, you're pretty much limited to what they tell you to plant for the most part. We'll right. talk about that in a minute. But so what are the reasons why you'd plant them? Like they're better for, like in your case where the farm that you're doing at, you were limited in cover, cover right? Correct. So like your main chunk was what, a 640? Yeah, 600. And then you got... 80 acres of timber in there and the rest was predominantly cattle pasture and non-productive land. It was just basically brome grass and took uh, a lot of that out, most, pretty much all of it out and turned it uh, into prairie. Uh, Ended up being cave in the rock switchgrass and different fields of that and then a mixture of um, big blue stem, little blue stem, and some forbs mixed in with that for uh, the pheasants and the quail and the rabbit and whatnot. And then we used our bedding areas as the uh, uh, cave in the rock switchgrass for the deer. 
and the turkeys. So works for deer, and quickly we've gone over this, but what do you think that did to your herd? Because I was just with a client on Saturday, and looking at a farm with CRP, and he's like, that stuff is worthless. It does nothing for the deer herd. And I was like, well, this one doesn't because this is a shorter variety for birds. Correct. But I've seen you do it, and your deer herds blow up. We went from, on that particular farm, roughly <clears throat> 10 deer on this farm uh, at any given time because, like I said, there was only 80 acres of yeah. timber on this entire 600 acres, and it, it, the whole 600 was just wide open. We went in. Drilled all this uh, uh, prairie grasses in there, and at this point in time, we went from ten deer to approximately, I would say, we're holding at any given time sixty to seventy now. So, and how many acres of that stuff did you plant? Roughly two hundred. Two hundred. Okay. So I I remember the days back uh, when we dealt with Grant Woods a lot, and he would tell us, I'm not sure if this is still his belief, that switchgrass is a better cover for deer than timber. Correct. Oh, just think that's and, true. And, and he, that's yes, he did. He did say that. He did. Uh, uh, we've had a lot of conversations about that. Him and I over the years. Um, depending on the timber, though, if you've got a say a south facing hillside, um, and you go in there and hinge cut that, and and maybe even log some of the more mature trees out of that, and that grows up into nasty cover. That's yeah. a whole other animal. Yeah. But if it's just but plain, you're clean. man-made doing some work. That clean timber, and right. I remember his point was always one of the growth factors in antlers um, was stress, but not only stress from like people and trucks and vehicles, but stress from other deer. Other deer, correct. And he's like, they sit down, they bed down on that, and he was always a big cave in the rock switchgrass correct. guy too. You sit down on that stuff and you can't see more than two, three feet. No, and that's the thing, especially this time of the year, January, February, uh, and even March, when food is extremely tight for these deer, they they can go into that prairie grass. We have, like, t- for instance, today, we in uh, central Illinois, we've got a big snowstorm coming tonight. Those deer can get into that prairie grass. They're, there's what they call thermals in that prairie grass. It, you can go in there on the coldest day of the year, yeah. Windiest, coldest day of the year. Lay down. It is dead calm, and it is ten degrees warmer in there. In that, in those grasses, those deer can lay in there, and they can. They may be in a group of deer of 10, 12, 15 deer, but they can't see each other, and there's it brings their stress levels down because right now they're very stressed because of lack of food, and and the pressures of being hunted for the last three months. Um, and so, if they can go into a place where they can lay down and not see each other, and it, it dro- drops their stress levels tremendously. So that's, and we spent a little too more time on that, but that's because most people around us do it for deer or in Central Illinois. Right. Um, so if you have a farm that doesn't have enough cover, even if you have a piece as small as forty and it's only got ten or fifteen acres, well, I, I've, add, I've got a friend that's got a. I, I think I want to say it's either eighteen or twenty acres, and he put it in. Uh, all of his behind his house in um, uh, Forbes, which Forbes, if it, nobody knows what this means, is basically your prairie plants, your pra- prairie flowers. And, and he put a mixture of prairie flowers and uh, big blue, little blue, and a little bit of Indian grass, I believe, in there. And he's got the most beautiful area behind his house. And I, I want to say it's roughly about 15 acres. And in the summer, when all the plants are blooming, it, yeah. it, it's unbelievable. So I actually so they did it for not, a different reason. They did it for a reason, totally different reason than it was just for deer. They did it actually for the butterflies, and they are on 
there's a website you can go to to look the migration route of the monarch butterfly, butterflies. Well, they they stop at his farm now every year, and there's thousands of monarch butterflies there. They did it for the aesthetic value of you know yeah. beautiful behind their house, but yet they're also giving back to wildlife. For sure. And so that's another reason I had that in my notes as well. <clears throat> We've had some places where it's by the house. You're not too much worried about wildlife. It'll still benefit it, but it is cool to look out there and see because that's probably what it used to look like 100 yeah, years ago. Right. You know? So that's a reason. It is good for diversity. Like some of the stuff that we end up doing for deer or turkey, like it benefits them and nothing else. Um, so this is diverse. That's another reason you do it. Um, yeah, it does. It, it it helps all wildlife. Uh, not only does it give them food, it gives them cover and shelter from storms and 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 nesting areas. Yeah. So um, and it does. Lastly, if you do it in a spot that has, and this changes with each ag bill, but for the most part, if CRP is offered and you put it on a field where there's an ag history, you get paid on it and fairly decently. Yes. The only downside is that you're locked in for like. 10 years, 10, 12 years, right. 15, whatever you decide. But, um, so I don't love those programs, but if, uh, well, primarily because we're in the investment game and, um, I don't, I'm not so sure that that increases the value of your farm because a lot of people want the ability to farm it, stuff right. like that. But if you're going to keep it for 20 years and you like it, then I think it's a cool opportunity. Yes. So, um, because you still get paid on it, it's like ag land, but you don't have those headaches to deal with the farmer. Um, it looks cool. So there's there's a ton of benefits. So, but again, you have to match. We find this all the time. People put in grasses and didn't look at the mix that the, the DNR made for them, and it didn't do anything for what they wanted to accomplish. Right. So you see it all the time where someone's like, oh, we planned this to give more cover for the deer, and it's mostly the short stuff. Because... If you don't say anything, which is sort of weird where we're at, it seems like the DNR's primary goal in these uh, CRP stuff is for buffalo and birds. It is. They're, they are not uh, looking at doing this to help the deer whatsoever. Right. They, which deer are the last thing that, that, that is on the mind of the DNR uh, when it comes to this practice, yeah. in my opinion. So a lot of times we've had to apply to put in specific seed Correct. that we want that they wouldn't necessarily recommend. Right. And which is... Which is okay. It, it's great. But if you don't know, sometimes people... And at that point, it's too late. Like, you're not supposed to come in and drill something without approval. Approval, yeah. So uh, you have to match the right grasses with what you want to accomplish. And, and we can help. We don't have to go through every one of those. But if you're looking to put some in, obviously we do all this stuff. So if you're wanting to plant some, the first thing that we would do is say, what do you want to do? Why do you want it? Okay. Yeah, what is and, your goals? And then we'd come up with a, a mix or a straight stand. You know, especially the nat, like NRCS guys, they're a mix and I get it. Um, but some straight stands I think are Oh, there's uh, awesome. nothing prettier than a full yeah. stand, a big, uh, big blue stand. Yeah. So, um, but we would do that based on your goal. So it's different every time. So uh, moving on to the where, because um, we're going a little long on these, but uh, this is also cool about prairie grass because you can plant it almost anywhere. And I know it's easier to plant it to where you can get a tractor, but we've planted it places that you can't. Mm -hmm. So... Um, Here's what I remember, and here's what I've been a part of. You can hop in, but obviously you can plant it anywhere you can get a tractor on ag fields. 
Um, you can plant it somewhere with wet feet. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Some so of them, yeah. a lot of the bottom ground stuff that floods a lot, you'll see in CRP uh, and, and warm prairie grasses. But we've also had luck on parts of the farm that you could do nothing with. So I'm that hillside. This was back in the North Creek days, and we couldn't get anything there. All it was was a pasture hillside with like eight or ten really cool what are oak, big giant oak trees. Mm -hmm. And... The rest was worthless, mm -hmm. so it looked pretty good. It wasn't accomplishing anything. So remember we peeled that with the dozer? We had the dozers go up and down and take that, peel off all of the brown grass, fescue. I believe it was brown grass, all that off. And then we went up there and we hand-seeded with, with, yeah. with a broadcaster, <clears throat> walked along and broadcast this, several, several guys did. Yeah. And then we tracked it in with a bulldozer. Yeah. And, so, and it was one of the best stands on the entire farm. It was. Because what happens, we can, the last one is how you do it. We'll get into that. But essentially, think of those dozer tracks. So when we spread it, it rains, it all kind of pushes it down and gets caught in those little tracks. In the tracks, And they yeah. stay wet. And mm -hmm. that, was, that was probably the best stand we had on that yeah, farm. Yeah, exactly. So literally, almost anywhere that you could get a bobcat, dozer, or tractor, you can do it's it. It's just like any seed. It's seed to soil contact. You've got to have good seed to soil contact. If you have that, um, the results will be there. It'll be fine. Um, yeah. So where is cool because it can be almost anywhere. So if you have a 100-acre farm and there's 30 acres of pasture that you can't really do much with because it's too steep or whatever it is, no big deal. If you can get a tractor there once or a dozer, we could get nearly anything in two into these prairie grasses and deer don't care that it's that steep or pheasant mm. or whatever they'll they'll be down there so that's the cool part of it is where you could do it when uh ryan is more familiar with this but you can what, yeah, anytime time after here? november 1st uh up until we get you know too much frost in the ground you can go ahead and do a fall planting uh typically if you do that though is a uh, like a you would implement a drill uh, for that type of seeding. Uh, in the spring, you could start uh, as early as probably February um, because you can do, you know, a frost seeding where you could just broadcast it over, say, uh, like today, you could go out, broadcast, and then the snow will cover it and then push it down into the ground. You may not get the optimum results that you want, but it will, some of that will grow. Yeah, um, double your seed rate or something right. and that freezing and thawing. Because we'll, we'll they don't need to be deep. No, right? you can't, you don't, you do not want to get this seed. It's like planting clover. Uh, a lot of deer guys will understand, you know, how small clover is. Well, prairie grasses, uh, not all prairie grasses, I'm using cave in the rock switchgrass as an example. It's very small like clover to where you, you can't get that seed very deep. You don't want it more than three sixteenths of an inch. Um, and that's why you've got to be very careful when you drill it because you don't want to drill it too deep. Otherwise it won't grow. Um, and that's the third way you could do it is go ahead and just drill it in with a native grass drill. There's several companies that make them um, that are designed exactly for this application to where they don't put the seed in too deep. Um, and you can do that all the way up until uh, June 15th. As soon as the soil conditions are suitable uh, in, say, April, you can start and, and get your seed in the ground all the way up until June 15th. Uh, once you get to June 15th, uh, 
you, your results will be not as good as if you get it in April 15th because it won't have a lot of time to germinate. So you, you won't get much height. And it takes three years for the stuff to be fully mature. Yep. So that covers most of the how, but also mention that this isn't, a lot of people will think, oh, you put it in the ground and you're done. I mean, to get an optimum stand, you're talking yearly maintenance on Very, this? Exactly. You can, like, your, your, your grasses are, uh, can be sprayed, which is very good. Uh, you can use uh, a 2,4-D to go in and spray the weeds out of, out of your uh, field. But if you've got forbs, which are your prairie flowers, you cannot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and if you don't have don't want to spend the money on spraying, you have to mow this stuff. And you have to mow it maybe up to six times a year um, at that 12 to 18 inches in height to keep the weed competition down so that the, the, the new growth of the grasses coming in have got a chance to survive and aren't blocked out by all the weeds. Um, and that's mainly the first two or three years. That's just the, usually around the first or second year. And then after that, it usually takes hold and takes off. I like to do a lot of burning. Yeah. I burn. Uh, I'll plant a field, say, in May or, or April. And the following spring in February, March, I'm, I'll burn it. And, yeah. and it gives it an extra year or a, a, a jump start because you're putting all those nutrients back into the soil that's almost like a fertilizer and it helps those grasses really jump that second year. Right. Okay. So that would cover it. Um, <clears throat> and again, we do all this stuff. If you have the, you know, your farmer or whoever has all the stuff to do it, by all means do it. If you don't and you want to investigate putting some of this on your farm or have an idea of where you want it to go, need some help, let us know. Um, but again, we love them, especially, you know, certain farms don't need it. You buy a block of, you know, 80 acres with 70 timber. It's like, you know what? That farm needs food. So don't worry about the cover. So it, it has to apply to your specific farm, but usually it, there's a good spot to incorporate some, um, prairie grasses just to help the value, uh, and, and enjoyment because it'll hold more, you know, like you said, depending on your goal, but it'll hold, they had a pollinator program. So you'll get bees in there, you get uh, butterflies, birds, deer. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is beneficial in terms of, uh, you know, recreational value as well. But yeah. in, in terms of value of the actual farm, when someone looks at a farm and they see wasted stuff, they see more things that they need to do. It's no different than a house. You walk in and there's an unfinished basement or whatever it is. It's like, well, I would have to do this and that, and I don't like the way this looks. You pull up and you find, you know, this old pasture land that used to look like crap, and now it's this big, beautiful stand. It not only increases the value, but it, it, it increases the market of people that would buy it, so time on the market is less. So uh, in general, grasses like that for across the board are pretty valuable to a farm. So that'll, that'll do it for this one. Um, we are going to uh, try to knock out the rest of these today. The next one, which would be seven of 10, is food plots. And that's also kind of a broad subject, but uh, that will be the next episode. So we appreciate you guys listening, and we'll be back at you with another one shortly.